Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee and welcome to episode 41 of the Benzo Free Podcast. How are you doing today? How are your days? How are your mornings? Are you barely getting through them? Yeah, actually, me too at times. <laughs> yes, I'm five years out, but I still, I still have those days, I'm sorry to say. Or, or how about your nights? Especially if you're all alone. I, I thankfully didn't have too many of those, thanks to my my loving wife, but I've had some, and I sure don't want to go back there. I'm so sorry. And it truly pains me to think about what you are going through of being alone and benzo withdrawal at the same time. And, and if you are caring for someone in withdrawal, this goes out to you too. How are you holding up? That is a tough job. Are you feeling alone? You don't even know who to talk to as you're trying to help your loved one through this incredibly arduous journey. You know, I know that this podcast often finds you in a very difficult state, and I try and keep that in mind as I write my script and speak into this microphone in front of me. I, I try and blend some reality to help raise awareness of this epidemic out there. I, I try to blend that with hope. Because I believe 100% that successful withdrawal from benzodiazepines and non-benzodiazepines is something we all can achieve, regardless of where you are on this journey. You know, I'm going to keep the intro short today, but I did want to talk very briefly about a recent call into the Ask Dr. Drew live show. I just received a text from a friend of mine, John. Now, John has become very involved in the benzo community over the past year or two and, and has done a lot of amazing work on helping raise awareness in Colorado and nationwide. Thanks again, John, for everything you're doing. Anyway, John called into the Ask Dr. Drew live show on Sunday and asked him about his current taper from Xanax. Now, I just finished listening to John's segment of that show, which can be found at time index 10102. I'll put a link to it in our show notes. And I wanted to comment on it here, especially since it directly involves our feature topic of the day, tapering. While Dr. Drew, unlike many other medical professionals, gets the dangers of these drugs, and it was really nice to hear that, he doesn't seem to agree with most of us or with Professor Ashton on proper withdrawal management. Dr. Drew is obviously not a fan of slow tapering from benzos, and he made that quite clear on his show. While he isn't suggesting cold turkey directly, he appears to be fonder of detox and rapid taper, and says he has had a lot of success with that. 
This was really hard for me to listen to, as I can imagine it was for many of you, too. As I'm writing down these last few notes for my script today, I'm shaking as I do it. In fact, it's hard for me to type. And I do this a lot. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But for me, I can't seem to control my emotions, as so many of us can't. And that often winds up in a physical display. And I start to shake. I start to shake internally, and I sometimes start to shake visibly. It can be pretty embarrassing. If I'm getting really worked up, frustrated, angry, emotional about something, I can start to shake. My voice can start to show it. And my body follows in kind. All this emotion that was exacerbated by protracted withdrawal was caused by, I think, my frustration of years of working with the medical establishment trying to get people to understand. I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And also part of my emotions were fear. Fear for those who are going to attempt to withdraw rapidly and the path that they may be going down. As you might expect, I'm not a fan of Dr. Drew's response to that question. I can tell you in all honesty, and I have to say here that this is just my opinion, and that unlike Dr. Drew, I am not a medical professional. But that of the hundreds of people I have corresponded with over the past few years who have withdrawn from benzos, that I have yet to talk to anyone who cold turkeyed or rapid detoxed and was glad they did it that way. Now, I have to admit that some people can stop taking benzos with little or no problem, regardless of whether they quit abruptly or over a long period of time. But none of us know if we will be that person. And if we aren't, all evidence I've seen points to a much more difficult experience if you rapid taper than if you do it slowly. Thousands of people have successfully withdrawn from benzodiazepines using the Ashton method. Please, do your research and determine the best method for you. Work with your doctor and make sure you consider all your options. Okay, I'm going to step off my soapbox for now. Let's move on to some details about today's episode. Today we will return to our normal format, which will interclude, interclude, there's a new word for you, which will include <laughs> our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, and feature. And we might even define interclude because I think it's a word we should use from now on. <laughs> anyway, our feature topic today is how to taper from benzos, how appropriate with what we just talked about in the intro. This is part one of our two-part series on tapering. Part two will be released next week. This is an in-depth look at the process of tapering from long-term benzo use based on all the evidence that we have available to us in the benzo community. There are eight parts to this series, and today we're going to cover the first four, which includes a decision, your method, your schedule, and preparation for your taper. This was a topic of request from a few of you, so thank you for that. I really hope it is helpful. And we still need feedback, as always. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions, or if you were a pair of shoes, what kind would you be? For me, I'm thinking leather sandals. How about you? Anyway, this is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. 
So please tell me what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blog itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing. You thought I forgot, didn't you? I didn't. The Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast on one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This does help new listeners find us. Okay, that's it. Let's move on to our mailbag. Today we have one comment and one question. Our first comment is from Anne. Anne prefers to stay in the background, so I won't share her location here. But I do want to let people know that Anne has been a huge supporter of BenzoFree, especially with research. Thanks, Anne. I really appreciate your help. Anne writes, I really liked the recent podcast about the issue of agoraphobia. To me, this is linked to being an HSP and seeking a familiar refugee space one where noxious stimuli is at a minimum. Our brains just can't handle all the extraneous noise around us. Perhaps querying your listeners as to their most safe spaces would be of interest. Well, thank you, Anne. Safe spaces can be essential for some of us healing from benzos. Whether we were highly sensitive people, HSP, before these drugs or not, many of us become that way. And it sucks. It really does. Honestly, one of the last things I ever wanted to be in my life was extremely sensitive. (laughs) I experienced enough of that from others growing up. Even though I've had anxiety here and there throughout my life, I've always prided myself on being calm, even in strenuous environments. Drama and conflict were often huge turnoffs for me, honestly, and I'd often head the other way when they'd appear. But during withdrawal, well, all that went straight out the window. (laughs) I was now the sensitive one, and it was far worse than I imagined. In fact, I mentioned that briefly in the introduction about the shaking. I'm amazed at the physiological responses I have now to an emotional event. So many of us experience sensitivity to physical stimuli like light, sound, touch, food, vibrations, or to emotional and psychological stimuli with extreme reactions of fear, anxiety, anger, irritability, and even rage at times. All of these are common symptoms of benzo withdrawal and all can be incredibly difficult and limiting in one's life. Like I said, safe spaces can be essential to your healing. We've even talked about these a few episodes ago. If you find yourself highly sensitive during this time, Find a space that works for you. Let others know it is your safe space, and you'd appreciate it if it's respected as such. Many times you only need a few minutes to even recharge before you can return to the moment at hand. But if you need more than that, it's sure nice to have a space to re-energize. Like Anne said, let me know of your safe space if you have one. I'd love to share them in a future episode. And our next question is from our old friend Hendy from Indonesia. Good to hear from Hendy again. For those of you who have been with us a long time, you might remember that we shared Hendy's story back in episode 12. 
Before I share his question, I'd like to let you know that Hendy is doing well now. He's not online as often, and that's a good thing for him. But he's doing well, and I just wanted to pass that along. Here's Hendy's question. I've been wondering about the song you play for your podcast opening. Yeah, that bossa nova kind of thing. Could you tell me the name of that song? Thanks, Hendy. I wanted to share this question on the podcast because Hendy is not the first person actually to ask that question. And just as a reminder, I'll play the song in the background as I answer this question here. You may or may not know that music is very strongly regulated. And if I play any song that is not mine on the podcast, or one I don't have rights to, I can get in a lot of trouble. So I make sure I have proper licensing. I did try and create my own theme music when I started the podcast. As many of you know, I'm a percussionist or drummer, and I play a few different instruments. Anyway, the long story short, my attempts to record a theme song on the dulcimer didn't go well, and for some reason, my Roland drum kit just didn't quite produce the calming and upbeat texture of sound I was looking for. So, one of the online services I pay for with the podcast is from a service called Storyblocks Audio. I pay a small monthly fee, and they allow me to download a limited number of audio clips, royalty-free, so I can use them in the podcast. This is where I get some of the meditation and music sound effects I use at the end of each episode. So, when I worked on the theme song, I found this music clip on that site titled Walk in the Park. It's by the artist Neil Cross. Once I heard it, I just felt it was the right sound for this podcast. And that, my friends, is the story of our theme song. Thanks, Hendy, and others for that question. And that closes our mailbag. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback to share, please visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. for our Benzo story. This story is from Roy in Bremerton, Washington. His story is that of a caregiver. We haven't had a caregiver story in a while, so I really appreciate Roy's willingness to share his here. Roy writes, I have an amazing woman in my life who has been on a Benzo for over 27 years. She has slowly been tapering off of them for about a year now. I think she's doing amazing and cannot be more proud of her strong will. Let me start by telling you a little about me. I'm an Army veteran who suffers mildly from PTSD. I have suffered from depression since childhood. Let's say not the best childhood. I have been in and out of treatment for the past 15 years for alcoholism and PTSD. A few months before my girlfriend and I got started dating, my father committed suicide. Having my father die in front of me was something I'll never forget. Shortly after she and I started dating, I lost my sister to cancer. So, 
Coming into a relationship like this was definitely a challenge for both of us. I started the relationship with being irritable at times, which is a huge trigger for her, or anyone for that matter. The more she and I dated, I started to learn from her. I knew that if I wanted this relationship to work, I needed to change. So I slowly started to pause, listen, and observe. I have since grown to be more understanding and far less irritable. I am very blessed to have such a strong-willed person in my life. We have been dating for almost three years now, and it was early on when she told me about her dependence and her willingness to get off the drug. Naturally, I was supportive. Being new to a relationship like this, it naturally had its ups and downs. She would withdraw, get quiet, or even go to the extreme sometimes and want to break up. Needless to say, we would always work it out and stay together. There were times when I was not sure if I angered her or did something wrong. If I asked what was wrong or anything like that, it would only make it worse. I now know that when she is distant or withdrawn, to just let it ride its course. I've learned that if I try to cheer her up or rub her leg or anything like that, she at that moment doesn't need nor desire to be touched. I know it has nothing to do with me. It's just a symptom she's having at the time. I try to do as much as possible so she doesn't have to. I, I want her to be able to have a very relaxed day and have some good quality her time. I'll try to encourage her as much as possible. I'll pick her up when she's down or even carry her if I have to. My girlfriend and I have the same interests and desires to travel and climb every mountain in the U.S. and see all the sights we can soak up. We are hiking as much as possible or doing anything outdoors. If she's having a bad day, put her on a trail and she slowly pops out of it. Guess the advice I ask is, are there any other things I can do to help her through this transition she's going through? Any things I maybe should not do? I only want to help her through all of this as she has endured so much in her life. She has been a very patient and understanding partner, and I am forever indebted to her. She has taught me patience, tolerance, and understanding. I'm a better man thanks to her. Thanks, Roy. <laughs> I just have to say what so many of us are probably thinking right now. <laughs> I wish everyone had a caregiver and partner as caring and understanding as you. And she sounds like an amazing woman who has helped you out with patience, love, and support through your struggles too. Both of you have had your battles, even if they had different causes. You know, and it sounds like you've helped each other out along the way. And that's what it's all about, being there for each other in both the good times and bad. I think many of us can relate to your struggles and hers. You mentioned her need for space and to not be touched sometimes. This is quite common and one I've struggled with too. It's very strange and almost indescribable. I, I love my wife without limits, but there are times when she reaches out to me and I just want to jump up and run out of the room. 
thankfully, those times are becoming more infrequent, but they're still there now and then. You know, it has nothing to do with my love for her. And I try and explain that to her when she notices it. It's more of a reaction, an urge, if you may. There are times when I just don't want to be touched by anyone. I never really had this much before Benzo, so I'm still learning how to, how to handle it. The, the good news is that it usually eases quite quickly. And most of the time, I love her touch and her attention and her intimacy. Still, I try and control it as best I can and just work through it. Most of the time, I don't even say anything. I just suck it up, tighten up, and it, it passes. You're learning so much about each other during this difficult time, and this learning will only make the two of you stronger. And your relationship will benefit from that insight in the long run. I know you two are going to be fine. Thanks again for sharing your story with us today, Roy, and I wish you both well. Please tell your girlfriend to keep the faith and take care of each other. You'll get through. And don't forget, we still need stories. I got a couple in the queue right now, but I can always use more. Just go to our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. Or you can even tell your story in your own voice. In fact, I just received one of those the other day, which will be coming up in a future episode. Let's move on to our feature. Today, our feature topic is how to taper from benzos. <laughs> pretty straightforward. I wasn't exactly very inventive on our topic title today. <laughs> this is part one of our two-part series on tapering. Have you noticed I like multi-part episodes? Because <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> Most of the time, I don't really plan it that way. It's just that I wind up with more info than I can fit into one episode, and thus a multi-part series is born. <laughs> I, I hope you like them. I hope they're okay with you. This is a topic I may have shied away from in the past. As many of you know, I can't really advise you how to taper from any drug, or even to taper, or, or to withdraw at all. And that hasn't changed. But what I can do is share information. I can share info from articles, studies, from benzo organizations and medical establishments, and especially from each of you. You see, as host of this podcast, my job is that of a glorified research assistant, <laughs> and not even glorified, to be honest. I, I come across some info, info you've sent me, info I found when researching my book, info I was just curious about and wanted to learn more. And I throw it into OneNote, where I track all of my notes, and I flag it with keywords for later use. Then when I decide to do a feature topic, or even write a blog post, or you suggest a topic to me, I I go to that reservoir of benzo info and see what I have. And if needed, I do more research to supplement or update the content. Well, this subject today, tapering, is no different. I consolidated a lot of info from a lot of different sources, and I'm sharing it with you here. I, I might even interject my opinion here or there, but that's all that is, my opinion. Yes, you know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> I do need to remind everyone before I dive into our topic today that I am not a medical professional and that this is not medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. Please, if you choose to taper from benzos, work with your doctor. If you don't have a doctor who will work with you, 
as many of you have told me, then try and find one who will. This doesn't have to be a benzo-wise or even benzo-aware doctor. Any doctor who will listen to you, believe you, and work with you on your taper is a huge help. Trust me, this process is much, much easier if you have a medical professional with you on your team. I also want to remind you that we at BenzoFree are Ashton-based, which means that most of our information is in line with the Ashton Manual. Now, this doesn't mean that we are blind to new information or even differing opinion. But unless there is solid evidence backing up alternative ideas, we usually fall back on the tried-and-true method, the Ashton Manual. If you are new to this podcast and don't know about this manual, visit our show notes. I'll leave a link there for you to learn more. Okay, I covered all that. Now, let's move on to our feature. Our two-part series on tapering is broken down into eight sections. One, decision. Two, method. Three, schedule. Four, preparation. Five, complications. Six, symptoms. Seven, final dose. And eight, other side. And this will be followed by a short Q&A section at the end of the two-part series. Today we will cover the first four of these. Decision, method, schedule, and preparation. And please remember that even though we will try and cover as many details as we can in the time available, this is still basically an overview. Please do not attempt to taper from benzos if you haven't read the Ashton Manual. And it won't hurt to stop by Benzo Buddies and read their information too. More info, especially from such well-respected sites as these, only helps in this confusing time. Okay, let's get started. 1. Decision This may sound like a no-brainer to some of you, but withdrawing from benzodiazepines or non-benzodiazepines or any other long-term medication is still a decision. You have a choice. Withdrawal may not be for every single person. And I don't believe that anyone should ever be forced to withdraw who doesn't want to. This is a personal decision between the patient and the doctor. If you or someone you know has found themselves on a long-term benzo and wants to make a change and be free of these drugs, then perhaps today's topic is for you. But please, don't let anybody force you to withdraw until you are ready. But before we get into the details of withdrawal, we need to cover the number one rule of benzo withdrawal. Rule number one, and even though it's just an opinion... It's a very strong opinion, and I'm going to say it with a forceful voice. Don't quit cold turkey. Don't stop taking your medication abruptly. I can't emphasize that enough. In spite of what I may have mentioned from that radio show in our introduction, all the evidence I've come across backs this up. Ashton says this, almost every benzo site says this, the research backs this. If you get nothing else out of today's topic, it should be this. Please, don't quit cold turkey. Taper slowly under doctor supervision. Benzo Buddy says the following about cold turkey on their website. Cold turkey refers to the abrupt discontinuation of an addictive drug. If you have been taking a benzodiazepine at a high dose, or for an extended period of time, you could be at risk of seizures following a cold turkey withdrawal. 
this can be extremely dangerous. The severity of symptoms produced by a cold turkey withdrawal of benzodiazepines often leads to resumption of benzo use and an unrealistic fear of what a planned withdrawal taper will be like. Anecdotal evidence suggests that a cold turkey withdrawal can increase the length of time one might suffer from withdrawal symptoms. Now, Benzo Buddies has some excellent information on tapering, and I suggest you check it out. I'll put a link in our show notes. I was on 2 milligrams of clonazepam before I started my taper, and I've been taking the drug for 12 and a half years. I want it off, and I want it off now. But thanks to several websites and the Ashton Manual, I realized that removing benzos from my system was going to take time. But going slow wasn't going to be easy. When something inside of you is doing damage to your body, whether perceived or actual, your gut reaction is to remove it as fast as possible. To continually take this drug can be a psychological nightmare for some of us. I just wanted to stop it now and get it over with. It seems contrary to common sense that to be free from benzos, you need to keep taking them for a while. But according to Benzo Buddies, according to Professor Ashen, and according to my own anecdotal experience, it's true. As I discussed earlier in this podcast, after long-term use of benzos, your body will reach what's called homeostasis. It's used to having benzos in the body and has become reliant on them. In my opinion, removing them from your system abruptly is a ruthless thing to do to your body. I suggest you play nice and allow your body time to catch up to this change. Now, some of you may be saying, but what if I already CT'd? If you already stopped taking benzos cold turkey, don't panic. Thousands of people have CT'd and recovered fully, many under doctor's orders. While all evidence I've seen points to an easier withdrawal period if you taper slowly, it also points to success even for those who stop more rapidly. Your body is still healing, just like the rest of us, and it will take time. I encourage you to reach out and talk to others who have CT'd. You might be surprised at the number of people in the same boat as you. That being said, a very slow taper with the support of a caring and empathetic physician and a good, solid support team, in my opinion, is the proven way to go. Number two, method. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the word taper means to become progressively smaller toward one end. Well, perhaps that definition doesn't work for us today. Or or my favorite one I came across when I researched my book was to cause to taper. <laughs> That's not particularly helpful either. The definition that does fit our subject here today is to diminish gradually. But how do you do that? There is more than one way to taper from benzos. There are options, and you and your doctor will need to decide which one is best for you. Let's, let's look at a few of these here. Before you determine the method of taper, we need to look at the benzo or benzos you are on. And remember, when I say benzo, I'm including Z drugs in this group. You see, not all benzos are created equal. They differ by four primary factors. Potency or equivalency, 
speed of effectiveness, half-life or speed of elimination, and focus of treatment. When tapering, the most important of these to look at are half-life and potency. Let's, let's start with half-life. Benzos differ substantially based on how long the drugs take to become metabolized and eliminated from the body. This amount of time is measured by half-life, which is the amount of time it takes for half of the initial dose to be left in the blood. Some drugs like triazolam, halcyon, have a half-life of only two to five hours, while others like diazepam, Valium, can take anywhere from 20 to 100 hours to reduce to half of the initial dose. When you are tapering, it is often easier to tape from a benzo with a long half-life, like diazepam. This allows for more consistent blood levels of the drug in the body. Short half-life drugs can create problems during taper due to the fluctuations between doses. And then there is potency, which is even more important to pay attention to. Benzodiazepines vary significantly when it comes to potency. The newer benzos are far more potent than the original ones. One milligram of Xanax, Clonopin, or Halcyon are 20 times as potent as Valium and 50 times as potent as the original benzodiazepine, Librium. That's why when some say that they are on 1 or 2 milligrams of Xanax, it's a significant dosage. That person is basically taking 20 to 40 milligrams of Valium. Potency really comes into play when tapering and can affect many decisions. A higher potency benzo can be more difficult to taper from, especially when it comes to measuring your doses. Many of the high potency benzos don't come in small enough pill sizes to reduce your dosing, especially when you get down to the low doses. For example, clonazepam, clonopin, its smallest pill is 0.5 milligrams, which is equal to 10 milligrams of diazepam. Even if you cut it in half, which many of us did, the lowest dose is still 5 milligrams of Valium, and that's a large jump to make at the end. I know. I was stupid enough to do it. If you want to know the potency or half-life of your benzo, don't worry. There's a lot of great information out there. You can visit our Types of Benzos page on our website at benzofree.org info types. I'll leave a link for it in our show notes. On that page, I've listed over 40 drugs, including benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines or Z-drugs, and even theanodiazepines. Now, please note that there is a warning on that page not to use these numbers as a basis for substitution calculations or any other medical use. While most of these numbers are based on Ashton and a few other reputable sources, I am not providing medical information in any way. Please work with your doctor on any calculations. But now that you have at least a guideline as to where your drug stands, you may want to know what you can do with it. What if you are on a high-potency benzo, or your drug has a very short half-life? Is there anything else you can do? Well, yes, there is. You have options. And I'm going to walk you through a few of them. There are basically three common methods of tapering from benzos. Direct, substitution, and titration. Let's take a look at each of these now. 
The first and most straightforward method of tapering is a direct taper. This means that you reduce the dosage of your benzodiazepine you're currently on, and you don't substitute another benzo, like diazepam, in its place. This is the most popular method. You will still need a doctor to prescribe differing doses, and perhaps a pill cutter to split pills. But other than that, it's pretty basic. This method works best for benzos that are less potent or have a longer half-life. One of the primary complications with this method is that it can be very difficult to make small cuts with a potent benzodiazepine like alprazolam, clonazepam, triazolam, even lorazepam. And sometimes switching to a different drug can make your withdrawal easier. Which brings us to the second method, substitution taper. This method of tapering includes switching, over time, from your benzo to another benzo that is better for tapering. The choice for substitution is usually diazepam or Valium. Diazepam has a long half-life and is less potent, making it a good substitute for a slow tapering schedule. Diazepam substitution will take more planning and coordination with your doctor than a direct taper and may extend your tapering time to include switching between benzos. But it has been a very effective method for people who take more potent benzos. And then there's a third option, and this is the titration taper. Titration means mixing benzos with milk or water to create a liquid form of the drug, allowing the user to better control her or his dosage. This allows for very small and accurate doses, and when you're dealing with a more potent benzodiazepine, this can be very helpful. It also allows you to stay on one medication while tapering, instead of having to substitute for another, like diazepam. Now, there are many techniques and many complications that can come into play with each of these different methods, so please do your own research and find the information you need. Number three, schedule. Ashton said the following about tapering schedules. The precise rate of withdrawal is an individual matter. It depends on many factors, including the dose and type of benzodiazepine used, duration of use, personality, lifestyle, previous experience, specific vulnerabilities, and the, perhaps genetically determined, speed of your recovery systems. You may need to resist attempts from outsiders, clinics, doctors, to persuade you into a rapid withdrawal. Now, I like to think of Ashton's words as good news. It's up to you. You get to take your time and withdrawal at a rate that works for you. Flexibility is the key. It might take several months. It might even take a few years. If symptoms are increasing, perhaps you hold steady for a few weeks or a few months at a certain level. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. Benzo Buddies agrees with Ashton about flexibility. They said on their website, Having a plan before starting your taper is sensible, but flexibility is key. A plan can help drive you forwards, but you should adapt your plan according to how you react. Apart from great differences in what an individual will find tolerable, sometimes a single cut hits harder, and for no discernible reason. In such circumstances, it is probably better to stabilize your dose until you improve, 
and then continue where you left off. It is generally a bad idea to keep cutting simply because this is what is required by your schedule. One of the main reasons people fail to complete a successful withdrawal is because they push too hard. If you have been taking benzos for some time, months or years, a successful benzodiazepine withdrawal typically takes many months to complete. You should control your schedule. Do not let your schedule control you. You know, I love that last line from Benzo Buddies. Don't let your schedule control you. But that being said, many still want a specific rate, something to work from, a, a standard to use. This can be confusing because there are many opinions about this. As many as there are benzo support sites. I have read some sources that say you shouldn't taper longer than six months. Some even recommend six to eight weeks. They claim that anything longer just drags out the inevitable. And some even claim it increases symptoms. Still, most of the evidence I have seen supports the mantra, slower is better. 12 to 18 months is quite common and a good general guideline that I've seen in some benzo-wise medical literature. And if it takes you longer to withdraw, even a couple of years or longer, then so be it. I took a year and a half, and I wish in hindsight that I had taken longer. But that's speaking in time instead of dosage. And most people use a dosage reduction as the guide to the length of their withdrawal. So if you're looking for a standard guide for the pace of withdrawal, which includes dosing, it's hard to go wrong with the 10-2 rule. I nicknamed it the 10-2 rule so it was easy for me and other people to remember, but it's not mine, not at all. It's based on Benzo Buddy's recommendation of a 10% reduction of the current dose every one to two weeks. I decided to use two weeks instead of one to two weeks in the title just to be more conservative. It's hard to go too slow, so I'd rather err on the side of caution. But the actual instructions from Benzo Buddy says every one to two weeks. Now, there are two very important keys to keep in mind about this schedule. One, this is a general guideline. Always allow for flexibility to slow down your taper. And even stop for a while at any dose if you are experiencing difficult symptoms. Most of us have done that at some point. And it's something that is always an option. Tell your doctor that you need this flexibility and work with her or him on that. And two, the 10% reduction is based on the current dose, not your original dose. This confuses many people. And many of us make mistakes on this, myself included. As I mentioned earlier, I was on clonazepam for 12 years, and I was taking 2 milligrams daily at the time I started my taper. I decided to cut a quarter milligram of clonazepam every two weeks. This is only a 12.5% reduction the first time I reduced, which isn't much more than the 10-2 rule of 10%. It was still probably too much for me, but I thought it was close, and I was limited to how I cut the pills of clonazepam, so that is what I did. But that is not where I made the mistake. That first reduction was 0.25 milligrams from 2 milligrams, which is a 12.5% reduction. But once I got my dose down to 1 milligram, I was now cutting my dosage at a rate of 25%. 
And when I got down to the 0.5 milligram pill, I was reducing my dose at a rate of 50%. The mistake so many of us make is that we forget the keywords of current dose, not of original dose. Thus, when I was at 1 milligram of clonazepam, I should have reduced at 0.1 milligrams if I could have cut the pill that small, instead of at 0.25 milligrams. That's a huge difference and very well may have added to my complications with withdrawal. Ashton reminds us in her manual of the following. It cannot be too strongly stressed that withdrawal symptoms can be minimized and largely avoided by slow tapering, tailored to the individual's needs. You know, you can always hold at a dose until your symptomology eases. So, even with the 10-2 rule, there are a lot of variables and, thankfully, a lot of support to help you in making this decision. Please, learn what you can, go to respected sites, take that information to your doctor, and develop a plan that works for you to manage your withdrawal, if you so choose. Number four, preparation. Now that you've identified your method of taper and your schedule, including allowing for flexibility, it's probably a good idea to talk about other things you might want to prepare for before you start this journey. Many of you know that when I decided to taper and spoke with my doctor about it, he told me that he wanted me to wait six months before I started my taper. I hated this, and it frightened me. Having to taper over months, even years, was hard enough to grasp, but delaying the start of that taper was almost unbearable. But, as I've said before, I now realize how smart he was. I was not mentally stable at that time, not by a long shot, and he knew that. Even though my doctor was not what you might call benzo-wise, he knew enough about these drugs to know that, in my current state, I probably would not have made it. So I waited six months. I started meditation, yoga, started exercising, counseling, and worked on my current anxieties and developed tools to manage them. And it helped. I am not sure I would have made it without that extra time. Without that time to find the right mindset I needed for this journey. And I'm not the only one who has experienced this. I've spoken with several of you who have waited to start your taper until you are in a better place. In fact, one of you mentioned that your doctor advised you to wait until after your wedding. You see, this is a hard decision, one that you need to make with your doctor. There are two types of experiences in benzo withdrawal. The first is the group who withdraw with little or no complications whatsoever, and thankfully, that group is the majority. The second group, the minority, will have a difficult time. But the problem is no one knows which group they will be in, as I mentioned in the introduction, until you actually withdraw. So it's best to treat your taper as if you were in the latter group. And if you are not, wonderful. Nothing lost. You're in great shape. But if you are in that minority, you want to be at your best. The more prep you do, the more educated you are on benzos, the healthier you are physically, and mentally, the more successful you will be in withdrawal. Being in the proper mindset for withdrawal, in my opinion, is the most accurate gauge of success in benzo withdrawal. Well, with the obvious exception of being in that first group, which had no complications, but that's something you can't control. 
Developing the tools to handle the fear, the expectations, the worry can do more for your successful withdrawal than anything else. Ashton said the following in her manual. Above all, stop worrying. Worry, fear, and anxiety increase all withdrawal symptoms. Many of these symptoms are actually due to anxiety and not signs of brain or nervous system damage. People who fear withdrawal have more intense symptoms than those who just take it as it comes and think positively and confidently about recovery. It's always nice to turn to Ash, and she always has such a good way of putting things. Finding a way to manage your fear, your anxiety, and your worry may just be the best predictor of benzo withdrawal success. And now, before you start your taper, is the right time to start working on it. But that is just one aspect of preparation. There are five other things I'd like to mention just briefly here. One, educate yourself. On benzos, above all other things, know what to expect, but don't let yourself fall into the rabbit hole of thinking you'll get every symptom or that the horror story will be yours. Use common sense and limit yourself as to what you're exposed to. Get information from respected sites, but be careful about how it affects your mood and your outlook. Two, build your team. This includes your personal support network and your medical support network. Now is the time to do that. It's much easier to do it now than in the middle of benzo withdrawal. Three, build your toolkit of tools to help you through difficult times like mental and physical tools, meditation exercise, breathing exercises, thought exercises, support groups, counseling, and so many other things that might help you that are specifically tailored to your own personality, your own beliefs, your own views that can help you through a difficult time. Four, set boundaries of how to handle different aspects of your life. This can include relationships, work, triggers, food and drink, a whole array of possible stressors and stimuli. And five, take responsibility. This means take control of your taper, of, of your withdrawal, of your healing. Work with your doctor as a partner and allow the flexibility to adjust things as you see fit. Ashton and many others have found that this method of tapering, allowing the patient to manage the process, has had the most success. Now, there are other factors to consider during this time of preparation, but that's all we have time to fit in today. And that brings us to the end of our feature. Tune in next week for part two of our future topic on tapering when we will discuss complications, symptoms, final dose, other side, and a short Q&A for unique situations. I, I hope you found today's feature informative, and if you have any additions or updates or feedback about today's topic, please let me know. And before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host.
Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give you a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for just a minute. Today we are going to focus on the mantra, May I be free. This is a form of meta-meditation which we introduced in an earlier episode. The primary focus of meta-meditation is directing loving-kindness towards ourselves and to others. These people can include those we love, those we barely know, and even those who bring us difficulties and lead us to anger or despair. As we have done before, we will keep it simple and only focus on one mantra today. You may add your own phrase, if you choose, and change who you are directing the meditation towards on your own. Today's mantra is, May I be free. This can be free of anything you choose. It can be free of pain, free of stress, anxiety, free of a difficult situation or relationship. But for many of us, our focus will be on being free of a specific medication and its effects on our bodies. We'll just start focusing on yourself at first. If you are a caretaker, perhaps you may start with the person you are taking care of. If you want to branch out, make the same wish for others. Over time, you will get more comfortable and will even include your perceived enemies. And wish them well and that they be free of their own anger, aggression, and insecurity. The main thing to remember is that the feeling you are sending is that of loving-kindness. So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly 
and naturally. And repeat the mantra to yourself. May I be free. If your mind wanders, which it will do, just gently bring it back to your mantra. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. episode is episode 42 and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.